Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello, and welcome to today's Heart Lift with Janelle. I'm so excited to be with you today to have a very candid conversation here on the threshold of a brand new year. I have my green matcha latte. I'm sipping from it. It's a little bit later in the day here in Southeastern Virginia, where I usually uh, tape and I am in my brand new, and you can look on YouTube so you can see my brand new podcast studio, my YouTube uh, taping studio. And I just have to give a huge thanks to my son-in-law, Jose, He and my daughter were home here for Christmas, and they flew in from Uruguay, South America, where they live. And I'm just so grateful. Jose just finished his master's in architecture and neuroscience. So when I was talking about this new space that I needed, he was so generous. And he was like, I'd love to help you do that. I was like, what? Really? Okay wow, that, that sounds like fun. He's like, yes, I get to put my master's into practice. And I was like, okay. So I want to give him a huge round of applause. He colorized my library. Look at that, right? Look, look. And I think the green matcha just looks so good with the background. And we did some rearranging and we're still working on the lighting, of course, And, uh, but I'm a one man show, one woman show. So we're just going to roll with it for now, but I just welcome you. I'm so happy to really be in this new space, in this new place. And this year I want to have a series of candid conversations. Candid means we're just going to get real up close and personal. I am typically transparent with you. That is my mojo. And I think that I'm vulnerable. But in these candid heart-to-hearts, uh, I want us to grow heartlifters into an even greater space uh, of truthfulness and honesty with ourselves and with each other. So today I was supposed to have the lovely Karen Casey, author and facilitator of 12-Step Recovery. But Karen had uh, some things happening in life. They just wouldn't allow her to be with us today. But she did give me full permission. God bless her to read from her book and to talk about um, the work and the practice of detachment and how that can lead us to really embracing the pathway to freedom. The name of her book is Let Go Now, Embrace Detachment as a Path to Freedom. Karen Casey is a a prolific author. She's written over 29 books. She has given me permission to read from her book today and to talk about this subject that is very new to us. And uh, in turn, we want to pray for Karen. She's got a lot going on in her life, a lot, as as a lot of us do. But I just want you to, to hold up Karen Casey in your prayers. And I bless you, Karen, for allowing me to 
share your powerful, powerful meditations and teaching on this thing called detachment. I've never read any other book that is as succinct, as clear, and as practical, and as helpful. It has over 200 meditations inside of it. And that's why I like it because it, she brings it down into little bites. It's not a buffet. What's a buffet overall, but it is little tapas, little bites. And when you are familiar with uh, trauma recovery, if perhaps you're a, a trauma recovery therapist, counselor, coach, mental health professional like myself, what I've come to learn through my work is that when you are in trauma recovery, your brain can only handle a little at a time. Now, you know, you know, I have right up here. I wrote Stronger Every Day, and it is nine tools for an emotionally healthy you. And I am developing an online course that's going to be ready so, so soon for you to be able to go through this little by little, bite by bite, because it can be very overwhelming when you're recovering from either a traumatic childhood memory or situation or circumstance, relationship, uh, traumatic words, or perhaps you have actually been traumatized. And so uh, that is the great thrust of my work. And inside of that thrust, we talk a whole lot here in the Stronger Everyday community about attachment, secure attachment. You know, I believe it is every child's inherent birthright to receive secure attachment, meaning they it is their birthright to be able to be born into a secure family with healthy, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy parents that aren't perfect, but they have a growth mindset and their heart is set on living out their lives in a healthy, healthy way. So today I wanted to introduce the subject of detachment. And you're going to go, what on earth, Janelle? You've been pounding attachment, attachment, attachment into us. (laughs) Well, for several reasons, because in my therapy practice, in my work with my clients, I have seen this thematically unfolding as is typical here. I typically bring to the table our conversations Uh, Things that I see, issues, common issues that I see uh, people dealing with, especially during this COVID crisis that our global community is experiencing. Now we have global trauma and it's an invisible trauma on many levels. So we just feel it in the air and we're like, what do we feel in the air? And so I wanted to bring it to the table as well because it's something. I am also in a growth point with, it's my growth point, a healthy understanding of detachment. And coupled with that would be my growth point for the entire year is to overcome and to siege my need to compare myself with others. And in that, receive my sense of self, my identity from what other people think of me. I know I am in my seventh decade, but when you grow up, when you're born into an insecure environment, an insecure 
situation where the emotional atmosphere of the home is not healthy. It's actually unhealthy. Um, doesn't mean you weren't provided for. Doesn't mean you didn't uh, get to go to school. It didn't. It doesn't have to look like big T trauma. But when the emotional atmosphere of the home is not safe, we develop these maladaptive ways of coping. We we develop defense mechanisms, and one of those for me was just comparing myself with others. And so I want to talk about that today and how I feel like healthy detachment, the affect of that in my life will be a lessening and a lessening and a lessening of me comparing myself to others to get my strong sense of self. So hold that thought right here. You know, we're always holding two things at once. And I want to tell you a little story before we start a silly little story. And I thought, you know what? I already taped this once. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I heard someone that I respect very much say, sometimes the silly stories, yeah, have the greatest meaning. So I'm going to take a little sip of my matcha. I'm going to get brave and take a deep breath and I'm going to be candid. So this was our year, uh, our Christmas to have all the birds fly home, all the kiddos. So while I had them all home, the backstory was about three weeks, four weeks before they all started flying in, my husband had surgery and my private practice really got busy and more and more um, trauma related cases were coming and I was without even noticing it, filling each day up with many, many sessions. And so maybe you can relate to this about how quickly, and mind you, (laughs) mind you, we're in an unhurried holiday season, right? That's what I, your teacher, Janelle, is teaching on the podcast and, and in all the places, how to have an unhurried holiday. So that was looming and I had it, I was very conscious about it, but subconsciously because of who I am, uh, I'm an Enneagram too. I am a helper. I, and have a lot of unhealthy, unhealthy behaviors that still, still allow me to put myself last. And it's subtle though. And so I found myself, um, after all the preparations for Christmas, the holidays, the shopping, the decorating. Oh my goodness. You guys know, right? You know, when you have a whole house full for nine days and then almost three weeks with the um, Jose and Candace staying. So I was pretty beat and I didn't recognize it because I am a pusher. I'm a very high functioning, (laughs) high functioning human being, but I could tell inside that I was getting more and more fatigued. And when I get fatigued, I isolate. And when I isolate, I don't go to a good place. So first bird couple flies in. And they come in later in the evening and they look at our Christmas tree. Well, let me give you a little more backstory. Last year, 
our off Christmas when no one was coming home, our full tree, our, our nice tree, the lights broke and we couldn't get them to work. So we had to toss it. I think we gave it away. Can't remember. And so we were like, okay, we'll just get, I'd always wanted a pencil tree. Now, if you don't know what one is, I'll try to put a picture of one in the show. And I'll, say, oh, I'll put mine in there. Very high quality, lovely. I had wanted one from this company for a very long time. And so I got it and I loved it. It was simple, but it's real skinny. That's why it's called a pencil tree. But I loved it. It twinkled really beautifully and it was just enough for me and my husband. But then when this Christmas came around and I thought, you know what? I don't think my kids are gonna wanna see this skinny tree. They never had a skinny Christmas tree. They either had a live, beautiful bushy one or, you know, a beautiful artificial, but big. And, and the space that we put it in is a pretty big space. So the plan when I bought the pencil tree was for this year, bear with me, I'm coming to a point. My plan, 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 plan was this tree next year, which would have been this year. I'm going to put that in the front window and it's going to be my pretty tree. You know, our family tree is filled with memorable ornaments and all of the ornaments the kids have made through the years. And so I thought, oh, I'll have my pretty tree. I'll have my beautiful tree. And I'll put it in front of the front window and it'll shine out when everyone drives by and they'll see twinkle and it'll just make people happy. But then, like I said, I was super busy and mentally drained. And my husband and I were like, you know, do we really want to spend that kind of money? We're downsizing piece by piece. You know, we may be in this house forever. Who knows? But mentally, we're thinking retirement and we're at that age where we don't want to keep bringing new things into the house. So we're getting rid of things. And, you know, my husband really talked me out of it. I'm just going to go ahead and blame it on Rob. <laughs> but I was also like, ah, that's a lot of money. And, um... I just don't think I'm going to do it. So hold that, right? I'm asking you to hold a lot of things today while I banter on with this story that will have a point. So bird, the first bird couple flies in from the airport and they come in and they're like, "Woo, that tree is on keto. That is one skinny tree, you know? And they just, I mean, it's the first thing or maybe the third thing or fifth thing. I don't know. And they just keep going on and on about this tree. And I'm like, I know. And so I go into my saga, I go into my story and I tell them everything I just told you. It was supposed to be this, it was gonna go in front of the window and we were gonna get a bigger tree and then we didn't. And I mean, this story takes minutes and minutes and minutes. Okay, we all have a good laugh. And I'm a little bit like, oh, I knew I started kind of getting down on myself. I should have listened to my gut. I knew the kids would be disappointed. I even polled friends like of my of adulting children. I even polled them. I said, what do you think? Do you think I should get a bigger tree? Because, you know, our kids only come home every other year and they, they want home to be home. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Bird couple two comes in bird couple three and it just keeps going it is now the christmas 2021 banter mom is the tree on a diet what happened to the tree is the tree vegan i mean mom you know and i had waited this year because i thought oh i'm gonna start a new tradition i'm gonna not decorate the tree my son actually said i even 
no, he didn't say it would be fun, but he did say, you know, maybe nice if you wait, you know, till we can get there and decorate the tree. So that was his way of saying, I'd love to do that, I think. And so I did. And then I think it's Christmas Eve, I think. And um, yes, it is Christmas Eve. And I pull out the ornaments and well, they're just, you know, sniding and bantering because, you know, we have a gazillion ornaments and you can't fit very many ornaments on a pencil tree. Oh my goodness. And so it's just going on and on. And I am feeling myself, my exhausted. Now they didn't know that because I hide myself. I hide my, my exhaustion and my fatigue and everything. I hide things very well. And I just start beating myself up inside. Are you familiar with that kind of thought cycle? You know, those limiting beliefs? See, you knew you should have done it. I mean, why didn't you just buy a big tree? This is ridiculous. But then I went down a very unhealthy thought cycle that was, well, why aren't they noticing everything else that I did? I mean, I have knocked myself out to make this house beautiful and all they can do is focus on this silly little skinny tree. (laughs) And sadly, I let it get under my skin because you know, our brains are wired to receive the negative far more quickly than the positive. And so I let it. I wish I could say that I picked up my emotional health tools and I put them into practice, but being fatigued, being exhausted, being busy, I didn't. I let my perception get skewed. And as we're gonna talk about later, I allowed that to start defining the success of the holiday. And so, you know, sadly, it really got under my skin. And let me say this, my kiddos, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-laws, they they love me and I am secure in their love. But you know how it goes, one little toe in the door and that sneaky little devil that we like to refer to as evil comes in and just spins it, right? And starts making you go down a pathway that just isn't healthy for anyone. And so Christmas went, we had Christmas, everyone leaves and my husband and I kind of do a debrief and, you know, I was talking to him about it and he was like, you know what, why couldn't you have just, when they walked in the very first and said that, gone, I love my tree. I really love my tree. Dad and I love this tree. Okay, well, I'll take a vote. And if you all want us to have a full tree, then we'll do it. You know what I mean? It was like, it's why Janelle did this have to, um, pun intended here, take root. (laughs) And the roots of unhealthiness flow under the currents of my heart throughout the holiday season. So as we debriefed, and as I was talking to several of my clients post-holiday, the thematic, the thematic, the thematic uh, belief of detachment started to come into my mind. And in, in my work, it usually starts subtly. It usually starts with a hunch. Uh, it usually um, invites me to lean in. And I, I go, what is that? 
what is she talking about? Or what is he, what is he really dealing with here? And my job as a mental health professional is to get under the words and hear and read between the lines and listen between the lines of my client's stories so that I can get to what the real true root is. And it takes a lot of mental energy. Um, I love it. It's like a treasure map. And once we get it and we name it, because naming something is half the battle, then we can have victory over it. So we're naming today this thing called detachment. And it might sound as though it is unhealthy, but it's not. Today I'm talking about healthy detachment, okay? Karen Casey writes in her book, Let Go Now, how do we embrace detachment? Why should we ever want to? Those are questions that prompted my desire to write this book. Detachment, so write this down, according to the dictionary means separation. Embrace means to come together. How can we do both in the same moment? So if you notice, if you're watching on YouTube, let go now, embrace detachment. It does seem kind of like an oxymoron, right? It's definitely a conundrum. She writes, to begin with, I think we have to cultivate our willingness to let go. That is to detach from the trials and tribulations of our contemporaries if we want to find the quiet peace we long for. A peace that will allow us to truly love, to truly embrace, and to appreciate those who journey with us. In the process, we also give those companions the freedom to grow and to find their own way, thus their own eventual peace too. I don't think we can come together as loving equals without embracing the willingness to detach. Learning to detach allows us to live the life we were meant to live. We were meant to live by allowing other people's behavior. And this is really the crux of the matter today. This is our lean in teaching moment. By allowing other people's behavior, good, bad, or disinterested, control us. We miss many opportunities for movement and expression in new directions. I'm gonna read it again because it's worthy of highlighting, of noting, of writing down. <laughs> By allowing other people's behavior, good, bad, or disinterested, control us. We miss many opportunities for movement and expression in new directions. The converse is also true. If we attempt to control the other person on our path, wherever they may reside, keeping them attached to us through any means, and most of us are very practiced at this, we immobilize them thus preventing the growth they deserve and have been prepared for already. Detachment isn't easy. Well, nothing is easy in this community, is it? But we are going to embrace it and we are gonna look at this and, and look into our own hearts and say, boy, is any of this ringing true? Is any of this resonating? Well, I have 
a five alarm fire going off in my head because it's so near and dear to what I'm dealing with right now personally. And I mean, I think I thought I had come so far and I have, but you see, we're always learning and we're always growing and we're always looking for new insights and new growth. That is what we do here. We don't want a fixed, immalleable, in cement mindset where we can't learn and grow and be flexible and learn from the teachers who are being sent to us. And sometimes they are our own children. Most of the time, they're our own children. She continues, detachment isn't easy. If it were, there would be no need for a book on it. And it may not have appeared on your radar screen as something you wanted to cultivate prior to me talking about it in this book, she writes, and then me talking, Janelle, talking about it to you today. As was already noted, we are accustomed to being enmeshed, E-N-M-E-S-H-E-D. And you've heard me talk about this quite a bit because in an alcoholic family, I became very enmeshed with my mother. I was the baby of the family. I talk about it a lot in Stronger Every Day, and I talk about it on the podcast. So I will put some referral episodes on the show notes for you to refer to. So just in case you're scratching your head right now and going, what is she saying? I don't get that. Karen continues. As was already noted, we are accustomed to being enmeshed with others, letting our lives be constantly influenced by their behavior. I gotta take a break and take a sip. So good. I'm not suggesting that this influence is always bad. There are good influences too, probably every day. We can and do observe healthy, detached behavior in some of our friends, and perhaps they showed up on our path to serve as our teachers. And yes, they do. I hope I am showing up on your path today to be your teacher, because that's what I long to be, is your guide, your teacher. It's not always easy to discern the good from the bad. However, it's my intent for the meditations within this book to illustrate those behaviors. She writes, what I want all people to know is that life can become all that you want it to be. All that you dreamed of at some earlier time in your life. If certainly not possible, then it is possible now. I just love that. She writes, as a young girl growing up in a dysfunctional family, and I forgot to mention Karen Casey has for decades been a guide in 12-step recovery. So she's just so wise, so wise. So she writes, growing up in my own dysfunctional family, I became very skilled at reading the body language of others to see if I was okay. All right, so there we go. That's it for me. I'm not sure if you can relate, but you sh- you may raise a child who is this way. You may be in a peer group. You may be in a Bible study. You may be in a small group. You may be at work with someone like this. She became very skilled, and I'm just going to make it personal. I, Janelle, became very skilled at reading the body language of others to see if I was okay. I didn't get many signs of approval. 
My parents struggled in their relationship. I feel like I could be reading my story. And my dad's anger, although that wasn't my dad. My dad's anger, coupled with my mom's sadness, permeated the household. I tiptoed around the rage when possible. And then as I got older, I raged too. Okay. I really want you to hear Karen's story and hear what she has to say about how important it is to walk in healthy attachment so that we have a very strong sense of who we are. And in this community, we say whose we are. And as promised, I said, this relates to comparing ourselves with others because when we have insecure attachment, stick with me, when we have insecure attachment, we have to work at receiving and earning secure attachment, which is what we're all about here. I have earned secure attachment through my heart lifting work, but even then I still have moments where I revert, such as with skinny pencil Christmas tree. I looked at these other faces in the room. I listened to the banter and for a moment because of exhaustion, fatigue, who knows? I thought I'm not okay. I actually just, I know you don't like this word, but I suck at decorating. Like, oh, I, you know, I wanted the house to be perfect. I want home to be Norman Rockwell. And if you don't know who that is, look it up. Oh, maybe I want it to be, you know, Magnolia, Joanna Gaines. I want to have it look that way, feel that way. And you know what? I'm not her. I'm not her. I'm me. And I love me. As my daughter, Brooke, always says, Mom, you do you and I'll do me. I was like, that's, that's brilliant. And I added, and then we'll be a very happy, content, secure we. That's the whole point of this conversation today is to look in the mirror, look inside our hearts and go, am I still in my life? Look at verbals or the reactions of everyone around me to be okay inside of myself. Yeah. You know, my husband doesn't struggle with that. He has other struggles, but He's an Enneagram one. So he's a lot more uh, capable of just letting that kind of stuff go. Um, but I'm super empathic and intuitive and sensitive. It's just the way God created me. So I have to learn how to manage that and turn down the volume. And that's where I have to grow and be aware and go, just let them have some fun with the tree. It is so skinny. It really is so super skinny, but I really like it. So I went down and in my normal fashion started, you can see my notebook, pages and pages of study one, one Friday evening uh, after everyone was gone. And I started studying, why do people compare themselves to others? I know I've studied it in the past, but I wanted to really get to it. And so there was a, a social psychologist named Leon Festinger in 1954, 
And he basically said that people evaluate their opinions and abilities by comparing themselves to other people for two reasons. One, to reduce uncertainty in the areas in which they are comparing themselves, to reduce uncertainty in the areas in which they are comparing themselves. Two, to learn how to define themselves. And number two is what I circled. They can only define themselves in relation to someone else. Well, welcome to my world. I happen to grow up in a dysfunctional alcoholic home. I tended to look around and see in the nonverbals of those around me if I was okay. Obviously didn't get the reflection I needed. Then I start competing and dancing and twirling batons at age four. And then I compete in beauty pageants and dance, you know, so the stage became my foster parent. I write about that in my second book, Overcoming Hurtful Words. And so I definitely still to this day, and I hope, I hope that I can give a great report uh, as I navigate my way through this, that I no longer do this, that I have such a strong sense of self that I have no need to compare myself to anyone else. I don't need to compare uh, anything in my life to anyone else so that I feel better about myself. No, it's not good. I've always said this. The only time I believe it's okay to compare yourself to someone is if you want to emulate a really good, beautiful, healthy role model. You see qualities. I did this my whole life. I looked at families. I thought, what is it about that family? What is it about that family? And I would go up and talk to the kids of these families that I thought, man, they're doing such a good job. And I would go ask the kids, what are your parents doing to make you this strong, strong young man or woman? And they would tell me, And I learned and I took notes and I watched and I tried to do it inside of my own family. Festinger continues and he says, the more similar we are to another person in some way we think is important, the more we tend to compare ourselves to that person. Okay, so I'm going to be confessional number number two today. Candid conversation number two is with social media today, Instagram particularly is what I love to be on. I love it. I love social media. And as we talked about an over-liked our past um, episode with, um, okay. And as we talked about in over-liked with Pastor Rob Singleton, uh, our episode a few episodes ago, Uh, I love social media. I think it's a wonderful means of getting the word of God out and getting messages out to the world. But when it becomes unhealthy, it's when I see a stream, someone come up on the stream. I saw it several times over Christmas, these lavish parties that other, um, okay, I'm going to talk about my world author. I'm an author. I'm a figure within the Christian faith. And I would just be like, wow, my Christmas is nothing compared to that. And then I would see a couple other feeds of, of you know, best-selling, 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 best-selling. I sold 60 million copies of my book. And I'm like, well, I'm a failure because I have not done that. I haven't done that at all. I don't know why my books aren't selling like that. Um, so you see, right, it's that rabbit hole. 
It's that dark abyss that we begin to spiral down because I'm comparing myself because I want to be a best-selling author. I want more and more people to get my books. I do. I really do. That means that they'll have really solid evergreen material to help their mental, spiritual, relational health. But then ego gets involved and it's never enough. I'm never enough. I'm never good enough. And it's just the most unhealthy aspect of my life currently. So there you go. There's my candidness, my vulnerability, and my transparency. I'm going to offer myself some self-compassion because I know that I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover after I finish this episode. He finally says, the more important we think some particular group of people are or is, the more pressure we'll feel to conform to that group in our abilities and opinions. That was actually by Jordan Harbinger. And he has a lovely, powerful podcast. And I'll put that link in there for you as well. So I went on to just writing so many notes. And I have a big note here that says, Janelle Reardon, start looking to God again. The Bible says it's not wise to compare yourselves with others. And so I'm going to unfollow people as Pastor Rob in his book, Over Like, suggest. And James Clear in his brand new, incredible book, Atomic Habits, if something is not building you up, if something's draining you, then unfollow it. Put it aside for a while so that you can develop and grow in this area that you need to grow in. So I'm going to give a lot of attention, a lot of study, and a lot of quiet contemplative practice to reminding myself, to building myself up on my faith, spending time with my Heavenly Father who created and breathed His life into me so that I could be His beautiful, radiant daughter. Yeah. I think that's a good place to stop. And as we come to a close here, I'm going to read through some of the meditations, just the titles. She has 200, so I can't do all of them. And what she says about detachment, Karen Casey. She says, detachment promises quiet contentment. Because you see, when I stop looking to others, when I stop looking at the behaviors of others, and when I stop comparing myself then I am going to be free. The weights will be lifted and thrown off, cast into the sea. Detachment is making no person in our life a project. It means taking no hostages. Detachment is letting the solutions be determined by God. Well, that would speak to my book writing, right? That would speak to my work, to all the numbers that are required uh, by my industry. This is personal for me. I have to get this right. You make it personal for you. Would it be comparing yourself to other mothers on social media? Oh, I didn't throw a party like that for my three-year-old. I don't know. Is it comparing your husband to other people or your wife to someone else? What are you doing here? What do you need to detach from? Is it your uh, idea of success? She goes on, detachment is knowing that others' criticisms are about them. 
Attachment to God is what makes detachment possible. I'm going to read that one because that is really where I want us to end. And that's on page 57. She writes, Attaching ourselves to anyone but our higher power, our God, makes us unduly influenced by the mood swings, the opinions, the behaviors, and the judgments of whoever is on our path. When we live that way, we have no life of our own. On the other hand, being attached to God, earning that secure attachment, knowing what God thinks of you, knowing that he breathed his life into you and all of the virtues that make you, you. Knowing that and being attached to God means we will be given constant direction and feedback for the decisions we are making. Being connected to God in this way doesn't restrict our movements. In fact, we can ignore the directions we get. In fact, we can ignore the directions we get. (coughs) Excuse me. But the good news about being attached to God is that we will never be misled. And we will experience, as a result, greater peace on our journey. That's what I want. And I know it's what you want. Attaching to others rather than God will never sustain us in a healthy, peaceful way. In fact, we may feel as though we're on a roller coaster. And that's how I kind of felt inside. It's like, dang it, I like my tree and they can have fun with it. Let them have fun with it. They love me. They're just joking on me. It's not personal. It's so not personal. Allowing someone else to control us by their mood swings becomes a habit and destroys our self-esteem. We give our power away by choice. We give our power away by choice. I gave my power away. I did. I remember the moment I did it. And in that moment, if I maybe hadn't been so exhausted or whatever, I'm not making excuses, but fatigue and exhaustion, they, they do play into us becoming a little less aware and a little less able to pick up the tools that we know will help us. At that moment, if I had picked up my tool of assurance of my God-breathed identity, I would have just laughed. I know that I would have, because I'm I, I'm laughing now. It's never demanded of us, and it's never ever a good choice to give our power away. Being connected to others is a natural desire, but there's a healthy connection, and then there's an unhealthy attachment. Do we know the difference? Well, that's what we're here to do. So I hope today has been um, a time of learning and growing, a teaching session, so that we can learn to identify these unhealthy behaviors that impede us from moving in freedom and having these beautiful new directions that God might want to take us in this year. I don't want any obstacles in my way. I want to see clearly now, right? So that I can be all God created me to be. And I want that for you, Heartlifter. So remember, you are clothed in strength and dignity with absolutely nothing to fear. You can look at your future. You can look at the days of this year and smile and laugh and giggle and be hopeful that you will be growing and learning each and every day. And then the result of that will be that you will be stronger 
every single day. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.